Thank you for joining us for another podcast from the Commonwealth Club. Greetings and welcome to today's meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California. I'm Denise Michaud, Chair of the Club's Grown-Ups Forum and your host for today. Our program tonight is How to Navigate Epic Estate Battles Before They Start. It is my pleasure to introduce our distinguished speaker, John O'Grady is an estate planning attorney who can help you navigate family conflicts about aging, death, taxes, inheritance, and property rights while addressing the true underlying conflicts. He leads O'Grady Law Group, a full-service estate planning law firm in San Francisco. We're very pleased to have John here tonight. He is one of our most popular speakers at the Grown-Ups Forum. Please welcome John O'Grady. Thank you, Denise. Uh, I'm thrilled to be back at the Commonwealth Club and uh, to see so many uh, of my friends and uh, people who have been here many times to hear me give this talk. And it's different every time. Uh, And so I guess you keep coming back. (laughs) Uh, So we have a lot to talk about. Uh, We have a total of an hour, so... What I'd like to do is just give a quick kind of overview and then uh, hear your questions because I really want to talk about uh, whatever's on your mind uh, without getting into too much detail. Um, um, Okay, Uh, so first let me say that, you know, I'm not here to give legal advice. If you want legal advice, uh, the way to get it is to pay for it. Because you hear all kinds of things from all kinds of lawyers and non-lawyers about what the law is or how it works in your situation. Um, so I and I got into this work because my sister and her husband died of HIV, uh, and so and I've been uh, talking to people. Mainly, I I work with people in crisis of one sort or another because most people don't do good planning. Um, But uh, everybody here has an estate plan, whether you know it or not. People ask, like, what is an estate plan? Well, an estate plan is just basically uh, addresses the question of who's going to take care of you at your end of life, who's going to pay the bills and make decisions, and who's going to get your stuff when you die? That's really all there is to it. That's what estate planning is. Uh, and so if you don't have the normal legal documents of estate planning, like a will, a trust, a power of attorney, health care directive, then your estate planning, your estate plan is, is, is this book. This book is called the California Probate Code. So the only question is, how intentional or thoughtful do you want to be about your plan? Or do you want to let, you know, politicians decide what it is for you? That's the question. Um, And before we can talk about who's going to get your stuff when you die, we have to talk about what stuff is yours if you have a spouse or a registered domestic partner. Because uh, registered domestic partners and spouses uh, have to kind of work through the family code, which is a different code, to figure out which spouse owns which asset. And so there's separate property, and there's community property, and the law is highly complex in that department, and I'm not talking about it tonight, but point is, you need to know what you own before you can give it away. So usually for married clients, we want to see the prenuptial agreement or postnuptial agreement if there is one. And sometimes we kind of start with doing a postnuptial agreement to clarify who can do what. And we do a separate trust for each spouse's separate property and a joint trust for the community property. Um, and then there are, but once you know who owns what, um, 
then the, what kind of planning is best? Do you want... Uh, actually, what is the problem that needs to be addressed in the planning? Is one question, one way to look at it. Um, and for most people, the biggest problem is uh, going to be taxes and the probate court. <clears throat> but th- thanks to our president, taxes is no longer a problem. Uh, because there's no more estate tax uh, unless uh, you have more than 11.5 million per person or tw- about 23 million for a married couple. So for most of us, we don't have to worry about estate tax anymore. And, and income ta- and death only has income tax benefits, so it's not really a problem there. Well, there are some unusual situations where income death and income tax planning have can there's something to, that can be done but normally no income tax to worry about with death and gifts received uh, as a result from inheritance are not subject to income tax generally uh, unless there have special tax features like a retirement account um, so that leaves probate as kind of a major problem to be addressed in estate planning. And so a probate is the court process that um, people use when they have uh, the probate code as their estate plan. It's the politician's um, way of resolving estates, and uh, it's a very tedious, expensive, slow public process that most people want to opt to avoid. And so long ago, when the king and the church were fighting for control of society, the king established probate courts and wills. Uh, No, the king started to tax people. And so to avoid the tax, the um, smart people decided... Well, if I own the property in a trust, then there's no tax. The king can't tax me. It was a loophole. That's how trust got started. But that's all kind of beside the point. A trust is a legal fiction. It's a relationship. It's not an entity. Like a corporation is an entity. A trust is not. A trust is a relationship. And so people ask, how much does a trust cost? And... You know, the technical answer, trust doesn't cost anything. Like, I can trust David here with my book, and when I die, he's going to give it to Janine, and we have a trust. didn't cost a thing. That's how much a trust costs. And I want to revoke my trust and get my book back, so we no longer have a trust. Well, he's a very trustworthy dude, though. And so I, in setting up this trust... I had to decide, who do I trust? I'm the trustor. The trustee, David, is the trusted one. Uh, The beneficiary is Janine. And so, but David might not always be around, or he might not want the job when the time comes. He might be busy um, or unavailable somehow. So I should line up a few different people, ideally, for who I trust. Who's going to be the trustee when I can't do the job anymore? That's, you know, if I have a stroke, when I die, someone's got to take over. And I want to name my top few choices and also have, like, some way for uh, the world to decide who it's going to be if none of them are around or available because it's a thankless job. You see, David here, you can't see it, but he has a big bullseye on his chest. <laughs> and it's really easy to attack the trustee. And uh, because the trust law is so convoluted and the obligations are so many and so vague that uh, almost any trustee is open to attack. And the compensation is minimal for a trustee. So it's most family members waive it, but some don't, and um, trustees get sued often. 
So you really, and they have a vast job. I mean, normally the trustee has to clean out the house, divide up the stuff among whoever's supposed to get it, call goodwill or whoever's going to come and get the junk, and um, deal with every financial institution, every professional, the accountant, the lawyer, the the uh, tenants, employees, whoever it is. Got to just deal with everything, pay every bill. Um, so who the trustee is, is a really important question. And most people want to choose one of the kids. And most people end up regretting it. <laughs> uh, if they're around to regret it. <laughs> and so choosing one of the kids is... Um, the parents think, oh, I, we did such a good job raising our kids that they would never fight. And plus... <coughs> The oldest one has an MBA, and uh, they all get along. Won't be a problem. Uh, we don't want some professional we don't know involved. Well, sure enough, it's going to be a problem. Actually, they get along so well, we want them all to be co-trustees together. <laughs> yeah. One client had three kids from the prior marriage and three kids from the current marriage, and all six became co-trustees despite my many great speeches to him. And it was the best he could do at the time. He was facing all kinds of other big, difficult questions about how he wanted this trust. I mean, who gets the rental properties from the prior marriage, the current spouse or the kids from the prior marriage? So this is hard work. You know, I've been asking these questions to people for 30 years. I know what the questions are. You know, I have the easy part. But it's my clients who have to like struggle with all this and have the conversations in the family and make the difficult decisions. Uh, and usually they wait until a crisis. Usually nobody wants to call me and come see me until there's a crisis, it seems. So almost, almost all my clients, you know, come as a result of some crisis. The brother just died of a heart attack at 62. Maybe it's time we did a will or some variation on that. Crossing the street doesn't count, but going on an airplane to over an ocean really gets them in my office, even though, you know, crossing a street is more dangerous. So it's a very... So the denial is vast. And there's dozens of people who have paid me to do their trust, and they went into hiding before that we could finish. And there's hundreds who are going to call me next month because uh, nobody's planning to die this year and everything else is more fun. Uh, I get it. Um, okay. So there's, so just like, with the trustee, you always want it like a few choices. It's the same if you have just a simple will. You have executor and some follow-up choices. And when it comes to like who's going to get the stuff, whether it's through a will or a trust, it's the same thing. If the person you want to get the stuff has died before you, then who gets it? And if that person has died before you, then who gets it? Uh, and so we estate lawyers, we always want to like play that out to the end. So there's never any doubt, no matter, because we never know who's going to die first. Often, you know, people assume like the man who's 20 years older than the woman's going to die first. But no, it doesn't always happen that way. So I've talked about like whether you have a will or trust. Um, I talked about probate and the court system. Um, but what I haven't said is that there are several alternatives to, pro to the probate court that you can... So you can do planning with trusts to avoid the probate court. Uh, and you can do planning with... There are other planning options to avoid the probate court. One is like retirement accounts and life insurance 
and annuities, those things have beneficiary designations, and as a matter of law, they don't go through the probate court. You, after the death, someone just presents a certified death certificate, and the financial institution just writes a check to whoever you've named as a beneficiary. It's all very automatic, and there's no court procedure involved, and you get, and the beneficiary gets the money, you know, uh, fairly promptly without all the uh, kind of chaos of going through the court system. Um, so some people with just, you know, brokerage accounts, for example, might create what's called a pay-on-death account. So that the brokerage account, even though it's not a retirement account or an annuity, automatically passes to whoever you've named without a trust, without probate court. That's an option. It's not an, it's not an ideal option because there's not much flexibility. Like what happens if that person dies before you? Everyone says, oh, I'll update it. Well, I don't, I don't believe you because I clean up messes like every day. <laughs> People who were going to update something but didn't. Um, and for people with, we have, well, we talk about probatable assets. So any pay on death account is not a probatable asset, uh, but real estate, uh, and, and brokerage accounts that aren't pay on death accounts and fancy artwork and automobiles, none of that is pay, is, is, uh, pay on death. And it's all, that's, so the alternative to pay on death is probatable assets. And so, like most, almost everybody with real estate owns it in a trust because it's a probatable asset. Um, and but generally, there's a small exception. So if if you have probatable assets that are less than one hundred and fifty thousand dollars in value, then you don't need to go through the court system. And there's a simple procedure, affidavit procedure. Uh, that applies to everything except real estate. But you can't get real estate for 150000 anyway. So, um, so that means that you know almost everybody uh, with Bay Area real estate uh, uh, ought to have it in a trust, or it's recommended at least. Probably most do. The problem is, you know, they don't even remember that they have a trust. They don't remember. They can't. They can't find it. The trust document, if they do have one, often they don't know who they named as trustee. They don't remember that lawyer's name, um, and then they go to a new lawyer and do a new trust. <laughs> anyway, I have stories. I have the best stories, <laughs> and I've like helped people straighten out all kinds of messes and been involved in enough family miracles to keep me going. But, it, you know, no matter how many times I try new tricks, some families I can't really f figure out a way to help them resolve their problems, conflicts. You know, and the, this ideal family where the parents did such a great job of raising the kids and one or all the kids are going to be trustees, um... Is there any class of professionals, such as accountants or attorneys, that you would recommend uh, families consider to be their executor if their children are not as perfect as they think? Yes. I will rephrase the question. If that, Can I have permission to rephrase your question? All right. So if the kids are not a good choice, who's a good choice to be tr the trusted one, the trustee? No lawyer in their right mind would take the job because it's a big pay cut and a, and a much higher risk of getting sued. Accountants are, uh, I think, usually a bad choice. Sometimes they work out, but you can't get a hold of them during tax season. So there's like a quarter of the year they're unavailable. Uh, and they're not really trained to do it. 
But you need, so let me tell you the qualifications of a good trustee. Yeah, that's the question. Thank you. <laughs> See, sometimes like just the right question, like just shifts everything. And that's, so I really put a lot of time and energy into asking the client, like just the right question. All right. The ideal client is, I'll call her Aunt Judy. She, she's kind of based upon a real client that I had a long time ago, where Aunt Judy, well, Dad, uh, Dad had terminal cancer, like so many of our clients, you know, it takes a crisis. And Dad was smart enough to know that he didn't want either of his two adult, young adult kids to be the trustee because they would just fight with each other. So he chose his sister, Judy. And Judy turned out to be the perfect trustee because she didn't have, she wasn't in the sibling rivalry and she had the respect of her niece and nephew. She had business experience. So she knew, she knows how to like take care of things in business. And she valued, um, professional advice and paid for it. And so, you know, we worked together really well. We got the job done. It was complicated. <clears throat> In that one, she told the, the son was like staying at dad's condo in San Francisco after dad died. <clears throat> and I was supposed to forward the mail to Aunt Judy, but he wasn't forwarding the mail. So I predicted to Aunt Judy that, well, he won't forward the action at any step along the way. And that proved to be true. So I say, so I see enough of this. I can predict what's going to happen <laughs> um, often. All right. But Aunt Judy, anyway, we got that deal done. I could tell more about it, but I don't want to distract us. Um, I will say that was a parent-child exclusion from property tax reassessment deal where if the kids each inherited 50% of the San Francisco condo and then uh, the daughter bought it, sold her half to the son, which is what they wanted. They wanted, to, actually, they wanted to own it together at first, right? And then they, they heard from me and they decided not to. And then they were going to, uh, daughter was going to um, sell her half to her brother. So that brother could have the whole thing, she would get the cash. Sounds great, but that would be a disaster because that would blow the son's exclusion from property tax reassessment because he didn't get the whole thing from dad. He got half of it from sister. So we did a deal where uh, the daughter uh, or son loaned some money to the trust, so the trust had money to give to daughter. And then we gave the real estate to the son. It was a little more complicated than that, but it worked out. So let me cover a few more of the big issues. Um, I want to just like mention the basic documents and the basic process um, as I try to wrap up my presentation here. So the basic documents are uh, a trust document, um, a will, and people ask, well, why do you need both? Because uh, sometimes, like, not every asset, the trust only works to the extent that it owns assets. And most people don't bother putting their car and certain other assets of relatively minimal value into the trust. It's mainly it's for investment assets, like real estate and brokerage accounts. So... The will covers those assets of lesser value that are not titled in the name of the trust at the date of death. And the will is called the pour-over will. It just says, when I die, everything I own goes to the trustee of the trust. So we normally do a will and a trust together that way. Uh, and if it's all community property of uh, spouses or registered domestic partners, then we just do... Uh, one trust, one community property trust for them, and one will for each of them. Uh, sometimes there's also a separate property trust for a separate property of those people. Um, 
And single people uh, get a trust, a will, uh, and everybody gets a power of attorney document, which is used to authorize uh, your trusted ones to manage your assets, mainly assets outside the trust, like retirement accounts. The trust document provides that, you know, when you can't manage your own assets in the trust, then the trustee, the trusted one, can manage those trust assets. But we need the power of attorney for assets outside the trust. And we do an assignment of assets to the trust, which is a simple document, just transferring basically all your property to the trust just to show, to prove that you intended to, even if you never quite got around to it. And... Um, Usually there, there's a deed for every real estate piece of real estate transferring title to the real estate to yourself as trustee of the trust. If uh, you have a corporation or other business entity, we, do, we transfer the stock or other ownership interest to yourself as trustee of the trust. Um, and then there's a health care directive which is used to tell society that you don't want the latest medical intervention to keep you paying the medical establishment endlessly. You want to die uh, before it's too late to die with dignity. That's called the health care directive. So those are the basic documents. And a word about kind of cost and choosing a lawyer. Well, when people ask, like, how much does a trust cost? Uh, I always, I can tell that uh, um, there's going to be trouble. (laughs) (laughs) Usually those are not the kind of clients I want. They rarely turn into a good client, but sometimes... um, But so more important questions are, like, what's at stake? And people don't realize it, but mainly it's like this work is, it's critical, it's a critical part of retirement planning. The hell with who gets my stuff when I die. I mean, I want to know who's going to take care of me. Who's going to decide what level of care I'm going to get, which facility I'll be in. Who's going to like be responsible for paying the bills? That's what I want to know. You are listening to the Commonwealth Club of California. Hear thousands of our podcasts on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher. Learn about our travel programs to exciting domestic and international destinations. And when you're in the Bay Area, please join us live for any of our 500 programs each year. You can find us online at commonwealthclub.org. Now back to our program. Estate planning is a women a women's issue. It's a woman's issue because uh, about eighty percent of American women uh, die single. Eighty percent of American men die partnered. That makes it a woman's issue. There's more to it, of course, but. Um, it's almost always uh, the woman who calls me and the man who's late for the appointment. <laughs> and when people call up and they want to know how much does a trust cost, one of the reasons I get leery or skeptical uh, is that I know that they're not really looking for a trust. They're looking for, if they're smart, they're looking for a long-term relationship with a reputable, specialized estate lawyer. Uh, because every lawyer in town will prepare, any, almost every lawyer in town will prepare a trust for you. But, um, and you can get here, this, you, right here. It says you can save six ninety nine if you go to this free living trust seminar. And the details are on the back. So the back says, the price is usually half that, 
So if they give you this little voucher, you can get a whole trust for $699. David got a better deal than that earlier. I got a better deal than that earlier with David. It didn't cost anything, right? So they'll crank out a cheap trust for you, and they won't challenge anything you say. Uh, And they'll have some paralegal fill in the forms, fill in the blanks, and it may or may not be what you want. But people, smart people, want a long-term relationship with a reputable, specialized estate lawyer because this is the work of a lifetime. Uh, And most people don't know that. Uh, And so I always tell... And so everyone seems to, like, overcomplicate the questions. You know, if I die... In five years, I want it done this way. If I die in 15 years, I want to change, do, I want you to do it this way. And if I die 30 years from now, I want you to do this, this, and this in my trust. And I say, forget it. <laughs> it's like just way too complicated. Just pretend you're going to die tomorrow. And what do you want to do? What do you want your trust to say if you die tomorrow? And that helps people simplify it and make decisions. And it won't be the perfect decision. There is no perfect decision. But decide something, um, because right now, you know, whatever you've decided, even if it's a probate code, it's probably not what you want. And whatever you decide now will be more what you want. And then when you come and sign the documents next week or something, then uh, you'll get more information after you live with them for a while uh, about what you really want. And if you follow my advice, you'll call me up every three or five years and we'll talk about whether you want to make any changes or not. And when people call uh, me inquiring about cost, what they really want is that long-term relationship with the lawyer who's going to be there to answer questions along the way and make changes. Because for me to, to take some other lawyer's old trust document I'm working on one from 1999 now. Um, Like, there's no point in me even trying to rehabilitate that thing because uh, we use plain English now and the tax planning to much much more than we used to. So we uh, and the the best practices have evolved considerably since then. The tax planning they have is counterproductive now. The whole thing needs to be redone. And that's like pretty much always the case. And it's way more efficient for me to start with my own documents than to rehabilitate some other lawyer's documents, even if they're not old. Okay, I am ready for questions. Yes, uh, you said that... uh if you had an estate uh, attorney, he probably would not be willing to accept being your trustee. Uh, is there some entity then, some that one can pay to be your trustee if you don't have yes, 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 uh, yes, that, yes. That thank you for helping me answer the earlier question. Uh. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Uh, yeah, there, uh, there are big banks that do, well, most, all the big banks do it. Uh, but typically you have to have more than a million dollars or five million, uh, that they can invest before they'll do it. They don't want, normally they kind of, uh, they don't deal with real estate directly. They often hire a property management firm to deal with. Oh, uh, some banks, you know, will hire a care manager to come give you a bath. (laughs) Yeah. And banks, you know, banks have, you know, uh, long-term employees in their trust departments uh, who really kind of know what they're doing uh, because it's all they do for long-term and banks uh, are likely to be there when you need them, uh, and they can. They sometimes they're like overly conservative. They don't want to take any risk. Uh, and some banks are better than others. 
And the banks change, too, all the time, so it's hard to... It's a tough question. But for certain clients, the bank's a great choice. And um, I know the banking industry is trying to um, kind of make itself more user-friendly, especially for middle-class people. Um, and then there are private professional fiduciaries. Those are like private trustees. And their whole industry, the industry of private professional fiduciaries, has been kind of booming in the last 20 years. Like 20 years ago, there were very few members of their association now I go to speak there, and and it seems like everybody in town is a private professional fiduciary. And that's all part of what we call the gray tsunami. <laughs> the gray tsunami means that, you know, we baby boomers are, we're inheriting, you know, um, more wealth than any generation anywhere on the planet has ever seen. And so, you know, that's why um, kind of aging is getting so much press these days. It's not just the aging, it's the money behind it. Uh, the money in all the care and medical attention and um, uh, just all the money flowing from one generation to the next. It's like a, a frenzy out there. Um, enough about that. I mean, all these topics I could give a separate talk on. And, but uh, most people, most healthy people don't want to bother to interview professional fiduciaries right now because you don't know when you're going to need them and the fiduciary might retire by then. Or you might have different ideas by then, or whatever. Uh, so that's where the committee comes in to choose a trustee. Like you might say, my friend, my spouse, or my friend, my brother, or somebody else, and you list two or three, and you say, and if none of them can do it, then uh, a committee can choose any trustee, can choose a trustee, including a private professional trustee. And you can name who's on this decision-making committee. That way you don't have to go run around and interview them now. But there's a lot of us older adults who, uh, you know, we get into the 80s and 90s and, like, all our friends are dying. And there's, like, if we have friends, they're 20 years younger. But some of them, like, don't have any friends. They're pretty lonely which kind of brings up the whole, you know, epidemic of financial elder abuse. And there's so many tragic stories. And it also it often involves their trust documents and all that. Um, where the caregiver suddenly receives um, gifts from the older adult uh, sometimes marries the older adult. Uh, I'm not here to talk about all that, but it's just a real tragedy in our society, along with all the others. And we warehouse, you know, millions of older adults in nursing homes and give the operators incentive to drug the hell out of these people to keep their profits up. Um... It's kind of criminal what we do. Well, they they choose the nursing home. Actually, the healthcare agent chooses the nursing home, and the the trustee pays the bill. Yeah, John, <clears throat> what is the um, your advice on long term uh, <clears throat> care uh, insurance programs? Uh, is it worth it, or do they fit in? well with the state planning? <clears throat> well, like everything else in our society, 
long-term care is a great thing that gets frequently abused. There are uh, some people just want to sell, you know, sell, 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 like most salespeople. It's what they get paid for. Uh, uh, Denise handles long-term care insurance. Uh, but it's a great thing for some people. Uh, but it's, it's, it's largely oversold. And so some, so the best way to do it is to like really have good financial planning. And then it's like a piece of the financial plan. You have to consider, given my situation and my financial plan, uh, is this insurance the best way to cover that risk? So that's true for any uh, insurance product like that. And I've got stories where it really saves the day. Um, Hi, John. Thanks for being here and, and answering all these wonderful questions and sharing your expertise with regard to um, Medicare and Medicaid here and with respect to um, nursing home, when there comes a time to make that transition into a nursing home, what happens, short version, to the property of the, um, of the older adult? I don't know, <laughs> uh, because I don't know much about uh, Medicaid. Medicaid is like the free health government health insurance for poor people, different than Medicare, which is health insurance for us older adults. I'm not there yet, though. Uh, anyway, Last I heard, the rule was that to qualify for this free government health care, you had to have 2000 or less in cash, um, which disqualifies a lot of people. Uh, but if you, have, if you had real estate, or at least a home, the home was exempt, and you could qualify for Medicare and keep your home. Um, and then when you die, Medicare has what's called a right of reimbursement. So they get reimbursed from your estate. So it's not really like you had free health care, because they're going to get you in the end. That's how it used to work, but I'm a little out of date. I could be wrong, my favorite line. Yeah. <laughs> yes. John, um, obviously, if we all follow your advice, we would be um, be protected against the potential, or, or or our inheritance would be protected against some risk. What if you've got uh, someone, an, an elderly parent, who has not accepted the advice, doesn't have a will, um, and you're looking at trying to avoid uh, potential conflicts uh, when they pass on? Um, what advice do you have for kids whose parents may be recalcitrant about taking these steps? Well, uh, what's your name? Doug. Doug, great question. My advice is set a good example for the patriarch and the matriarch. <laughs> yes. So like Mark Twain said, there's nothing quite so powerful as a good example. So in other words, if you want your parents to uh, get their estate planning up to date, the best way to do it is to get your own act together, get your own up-to-date, talk about how difficult it was to write a check to the lawyer, talk about how difficult these questions are, and talk about how good you feel when everything is signed and done. And then maybe they'll want to feel good too. It's way more effective than nagging. It's uh, kind of the same strategy used for dealing with a teenager, right? Um, <laughs> uh, or or you, you talk to their friend or their, someone close to them and let it be the friend's idea. It can't be your idea if you're the kid. 
They'll never listen to a kid. Kids supposed to listen to them. Uh, how does an executor relate to uh, estate and will and living living trust planning? Well, an executor is the person uh, the court makes responsible for uh, uh, navigating everything through the court system and kind of rounding up and being responsible for the assets. It's, it's uh, So if there's an executor, it means there's a probate proceeding going on in court. Uh, and the purpose of the trust is to avoid all that. And there, so there you have a trustee. And under the uh, power of attorney document, there's an agent. And just like in the healthcare directive, there's an agent. Uh, but the money people, the trustee, the executor, the agent under the power of attorney for finances, normally that should be the same person serving at the same time so, because it all has to be coordinated. Sometimes you need a probate even though you have a trust because uh, you bought a piece of real estate and didn't tell anyone. It's in your name, not in your name as trustee. I just thought of a potential complication. Someone that uh, decamps to another state recently, and if they die there, what, without much in the way of assets, what complications might there be where it may not be clear which state they're resident of? Um. Well, it's a very factual analysis that has to be done. Um, but probate is required wherever they own real estate, regardless of where they live. Uh, so it partly depends upon what assets they had. Um, and it partly depends upon where they learn to live, where they plan to live permanently, which is who, who knows, right? But uh, often that happens when, like, the, the out-of-state parents come here to live with the kid, and then we kind of update their documents under California law to make it clear that's the ideal. Um, but it's normal to like deal with it under the law of the state where you live. Um, sometimes that's hard to know, and you have to duke it out in court, and sometimes there's a big fight about it. There's some cases where like the law is very different in Wyoming than it is in California. And so this, the, the outcome is of the whole inheritance battle is going to be very different depending upon, like, which is it the Wyoming court or the San Francisco court? And so it becomes a real fight. You know, and that guy, uh, Jeffrey Epstein, in the news, you know, he abused all these people and... Uh, had his his little paradise in um, the Virgin Islands or somewhere, and he committed suicide. And so they're doing a pro in the middle of all this litigation against them for his sexual abuse of people. You know, and like his death just complicated their grieving and their process, their whole process, struggling with all the abuse. And it got further complicated because he lived in the Virgin Islands or wherever it was, and they have to have the probate there. But there's only like five lawyers on the island. <laughs> so now all these American lawyers are taking the bar exam there. <laughs> <laughs> Which reminds me, I have a popular newsletter that some of you get. Um, it has... Kind of stories of appellate cases, and one of the, the one of the, the headlines was uh, Martin Luther King. He had a dream, but not a will, because <laughs> his kids are still in litigation with each other. <laughs> yeah, so I'll pass this around. If you are interested, please sign up. Uh, it only goes out every several weeks because we're busy doing other things. Two quick ones. One is that if do you recommend co-trustees being uh, siblings, brother, sister, sister, sister of the family? You mentioned a little bit of this at the beginning, um, and uh, and then two, um, I don't believe California has the right to die 
um, laws and, and I don't know if they do or not. I haven't looked into it. I, the question just came up, uh, for me. And, and do you know other states in the United States that, that has that as a possibility? Yeah. Okay. Are co-trustee is a good idea? No. Um, do they generate extra legal fees? Yes. Do they agree? Almost never. Um, does that answer your question, Paris? Yeah. Um, so I always want like one person with authority I can deal with because it's if I have to like think of like which one knows what and where do we leave off and what does she think about that and it just gets too crazy and they almost never agree in the end. Okay, um, right to life is kind of the political name for right to suicide. I was quite involved in all that stuff a few years ago, and we do have it in California now. Yeah. But you have to have uh, a terminal diagnosis, a diagnosis that you have less than six months to live, and uh, there are other procedures in place, I'll just say. Um, and there are doctors and other medical people who are specially trained for that now. Um, but yes, we do. Please email me for a phone appointment if you'd like. If you have any questions later, I'm happy to take questions anytime. And the newsletter is a good way to kind of keep up with things. And one final thing is that you're not in the game until you have an appointment with an estate lawyer. Yes. So I encourage you to get in the game. Thank you, John. Our thanks, our thanks to John O'Grady for his comments here today. We also thank our audience here as well as those listening to the recording. And now this meeting of the Commonwealth Club of California commemorating its 116th year of enlightened discussion is adjourned.